please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we encounter the Israelites traveling along on their journey through the wilderness. And they are whining like a bunch of kids on a car trip who just can't help asking, are we there yet? For the hundredth time. Only instead of, are we there yet? Instead of, she touched me, these travelers say, are you trying to kill us? There's no water. The food is awful. Here we have one window into the downside of the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness. This is not the only time we find the people complaining bitterly against Moses and against God. This one short piece of scripture gives us a look at something that happened over and over again. It's as if the people throw in the towel. It's as if they say, I quit. What is this about? this impatience, these complaints. I don't actually think it's because that 40-year sojourn was so interminably long. I don't think it's about the harsh desert conditions. I don't think it's about the bad food. I think people are dissatisfied and impatient, even angry, because they can't see where they are going. Yes, there's this idea of a promised land that has been held out in front of them like a carrot in front of a horse. But months go by, and years go by, and the food is terrible. They don't know anything about this supposed promised land, really. They are not sure they want to take Moses' word for it. And who can tell what God is really saying anyway? They don't have a map for their journey. Instead, they have a roundabout path that seems to change without notice. No wonder they complain. No wonder they question whether Moses has brought them out into the wilderness to die. We continue in this season of Lent. We continue exploring the theme of covenant. Covenant means many things, but most especially it means a sacred agreement. The central covenant for people of faith is the covenant where God makes a promise to us. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And to my mind, covenant is one of the most compelling components of the Christian faith. The lectionary calendar of assigned scripture readings gives us readings from the Old Testament that focus on covenant this year for this series of weeks. And our scriptures offer such beautiful stories of covenant. We heard of Noah and the rainbow and the covenant that God made not only with Noah, but with all living creatures and all creation. The rainbow expresses God's love for creation and God's decision not to be a destructive God. We heard God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants, a covenant that reminds us that God's promises are not only for today, but for a future we cannot yet see. This particular covenant tells God's people that God can envision possibilities for us that are far greater 
than what we ourselves can envision. Last week offered a review of the Ten Commandments, a guide to ethical living for covenant people. The language and particulars of the Ten Commandments are limited by the time and place they come from in some ways, but they are also a reasonable guide to what it looks like to be a covenant people who place God first. And next week's scripture is my favorite of all, the passage from Jeremiah, where God says that God's covenant will be written on our very hearts and not on some stone tablets. The scriptures for this season give us beautiful, meaningful images for what it means to be in covenant with God. Until today. How did that reading get in there? What does it even have to do with covenant? The people are angry. They're impatient. They complain. And God? God acts like a jerk, sending poisonous snakes to bite people, and lots of people die. Then the solution sounds like it belongs to some primitive superstition, not to the God we have come to understand as infinite and mysterious. In this solution, God tells Moses to make a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole. Then people who get bitten by those poisonous snakes that God sent can look at the bronze snake on the pole and they will survive the snake bite. It's a strange passage and difficult to fit with a focus on covenant. But let's look at the roots of the impatience and dissatisfaction we find here. Before the Israelites embark upon this 40-year wilderness journey, they are slaves in Egypt. And it is during this time in Egypt that we find the first expression of God's central covenant with God's people. God says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I have promised. But when Moses conveys God's words of love and covenant to the people, this is what the Bible says. But they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. From the very beginning, people have difficulty hearing the good news of God's love and covenant. People have difficulty believing it. In spite of this, Moses does lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, but over and over again, the people question the plan. The stories portray them as impatient, cranky, angry, disobedient. But I imagine that underneath all of that, they must be scared. I don't think it's the long 40 years, or the harsh desert conditions, or the bad food, or the times when they can't find water. I think the people are upset because they can't see where they are going. There is this idea of a promised land, but the way to the promised land is indirect at best. There is no map. No milestones, no itinerary, no estimated time of arrival, just wilderness and journeying and being asked to trust God. Aren't the Israelites like us? We are not content to discern one step at a time when neither the path nor the destination are clear. We want to know where we are going 
and how we are going to get there. We want a plan. We want clarity. We want that map. We want to check off the milestones one by one as we track our progress, knowing that we are getting closer to our destination. We want a to-do list that allows us to mark clear and steady progress. And you know what? We mostly don't want a plan that is handed to us either. We want to decide what the plan is. We want to decide where we are going and how we will get there. Sometimes we get these things. Sometimes we are lucky enough to have the kind of clarity and that kind of linear progression through a plan that makes us feel secure. But that isn't always possible. It wasn't for the Israelites on their exodus journey from slavery in Egypt. And it isn't for us in the wilderness of a world where we cannot always map out the path. What is the path that will take the human community from the brink of environmental crisis to the healing of the earth? How do we bridge the gaping and widening chasm between rich and poor or between haves and have-nots? What is the path back to civil discourse in the face of a political landscape where people of differing views are farther apart than ever and can barely talk to each other? You know what? We don't know. Or rather, we don't know everything. So much of what faces us in our world and in our own lives are issues and situations that we cannot solve through a clear and simple process of defining our goal and mapping out the steps to get there. The steps change even as we are moving forward. The map we started out with sometimes only shows that the geography has changed, even in the time we have been traveling. So what is the alternative then? if we cannot clearly map out our journey through life. The alternative is the very thing God asked of the Israelites. Know that God is present and has a destination in mind. In other words, a vision for our lives and our world. And listen. Listen for God's nudging, God's leading, Tune all our senses to perceive God's activity with and around us, and then take a step forward. That is the path for us to follow, joining God wherever God is present and active. So listen, and step forward, and listen some more, until the next step becomes clear. It can be difficult to hear this as good news. But remember again the context. God's invitation to this roundabout journey, this unclear path, is offered as an alternative to slavery. And yes, there was a certain amount of security in slavery. The Israelites remind Moses of that on many occasions. In slavery, the plan was clear. The expectations were clear. And they had plenty to eat. And yes, there is a certain amount of insecurity in the wilderness, in the freedom God invites us to. It is a space where the plan is not always clear. What is clear is that God's vision for us is freedom and abundant life, 
And God's vision for us is not slavery. And the gift in this, even in this wilderness journey that evokes our impatience and frustration, the gift is that God invites us to be fully present, fully attentive to God. When all our attention is focused on our map or on our plan, it can be easy to miss things in the changing landscape around us. Sometimes our best laid plans can actually confine us. But God invites us to open all our senses to the path God might invite us to. And with our eyes and our hearts and our minds open, we make our way faithfully through the wilderness, one step at a time. Maybe in the end, this is what covenant is. Maybe, really, this is what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with God. Not following rules, not meeting any narrow set of expectations, but faithfully attending to God's presence and listening for God's voice. Because this is how we discern the path God leads us to, which is the path of freedom. Amen.